Hi there, welcome along to Sporting Lives. It's 2021 at last. Thanks for joining me, Jonathan Doidge, to have a look back at uh, the life of another sporting legend. Uh, before we introduce her, um, just to let you know what's coming up in the next uh, few weeks, Richard Pittman, a jump jockey and racing legend, will be on the podcast, as will Leeds Rhinos, um, member of the Golden Generation, Danny Maguire. Plenty more plans in the pipeline as well to come in the coming months. So please do hit the subscribe button if you're watching this on YouTube or if you're listening to it on Podbean or any of the other podcast forums that it's on. And please do hit subscribe. Um, free, of course, for uh, accessing all the content. But you will just get a, a little nod as soon as it goes on there and you can go and have a watch or have a listen. And many thanks for your support. Those subscriptions do mean a lot in terms of being able to continue to generate this content for free. Uh, advert done, let's get on then with the first podcast of 2021. And uh, my pleasure to speak to a lady who's made over 240 international appearances for the England women's cricket team, world champion on several counts, MBE as well back in 2014, and the first um, male or female in the history of cricket to make it to 100 uh, T20 internationals. That is some CV. I was delighted to speak to Jenny Gunn um, and first asked her about um, her immediate plans and a return to cricket in 2021 once again with the Northern Diamonds. Yes, yeah, so I've just signed um, yeah, for, for Northern Diamonds. So um, it's my first winter training for a long time. So Indoor training is not um, not one thing I really enjoy, just bowling indoors. But um, yeah, it's it's. I'm looking to look forward to the season, and it just shows how um, I enjoyed last season, which meant they actually managed to get me back. How do you manage then on a motivation basis? Because you know, as you say, not not winter training very often. That's because you've presumably been trekking around the world, playing for England, doing the job itself on the road in lovely sunshine, while we've been stuck here in. Yeah. the snow like it is today so how do you manage to sort of motivate yourself at this age having retired to go through all that to play again yeah I mean I was I was I've been really lucky uh playing abroad and and this is my first winter in a long time but last see last year I was in Australia this time and uh my club side over there Sydney got me out of retirement um because I was coaching over there so they said we're short um guilt tripped me in which I think most people would know I don't I struggle to say no um to help people out so rocked up and started playing and then literally I was I was with them for the entire season before the pandemic started and um, I came back just it's, it's when you want to be around family so if I hadn't played in Australia last season in, in the winter no chance would I've played last summer but because I kept fit and I'd been, I'd been playing I thought no I can still hold my own and, and like I say I really enjoyed it but it's actually probably a bit of an escape at the moment with everything that's going on uh, we can we can train still and I'm actually enjoying uh, the running. Um, I fell down a hill the other day though, which wasn't, wasn't great. I did a Klingsman down the hill and came, came back in mud, which was, wasn't great, but um, yeah, I've actually enjoyed keeping fit. So it's kind of hopefully a light at the end of a tunnel that all the fitness is, is going to come through. So hopefully at the, at the start of the season, I'll be ready to go. And how strange was that, um, that situation? I know I was traveling around following the, the Yorkshire fellows play. Um, last summer but how how strange was it for you from a from a playing perspective going through all those protocols and having so much of a, a sideshow if you like in addition to what you were trying to achieve on the field 
Yeah, I mean, you do you do everything you can so you can actually play. Um, it was quite weird uh, hand sanitising every six overs, and um, but it's just what you have to do. And I think some of our spinners really struggled to grip the ball um, to start with. Um, but then it's just like you sanitise your hands and then they're rubbing their hands in the dirt and, and all this, trying to get them dirty again to grip the ball. But like I say, it was just things we had to do to be able to play cricket. And hopefully it won't be like that this season but you just never know so we'll just have to see. Um, I imagine you probably a, a dream to work with then if you are somebody who finds it difficult to say no because there'll be a way of managing to get you to, to do things but also you know this massive amount of experience you've got at the very highest level all the trophies the the MBE all the rest of it um, that we will talk about you know for somebody like Danny Hazel to be able to to, to draw upon that with her squad at the moment um do you see yourself as a as sort of the mentor in that squad maybe a, li a little bit i guess we're looking with danny hazel herself and uh, our assistant courtney hill who had experience playing state cricket in australia so i think even if anybody ever got injured we've got two people on the sideline who's, who's ready to come in as well so i think we've got a, a really good mix of um different experiences as well especially with seam overseas and, and Danny Hazel with spin so yeah any any way I can help I'm, I'm really want to but also I'm still learning um, I'm 34 but I don't feel that old um, I think that's from all the fitness we do and, and you look after your bodies and I don't I don't feel old I feel I can still compete and I'm still enjoying my cricket so I'm still learning and I want to learn and I think that's why again that's why I said yes because I haven't achieved everything I still want to um, I still want to win with Northern Diamonds and, and we were close last year, but hopefully this year we can go one step further and, and push for that trophy. Um, do you find, is it, is it getting more difficult fitness-wise uh, to, to maintain the same level with age? He said, speaking yeah. from personal experience. It's weird. <laughs> I actually, yeah, it's actually weird. I don't, I don't feel it really tough. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I do a, a lot of bike work, um, so probably less running, but I still try and compete with the youngsters um, with the speed and things. And we're, we're doing a, a speed program at the moment because I still want to get quicker. And if, if I can, by changing my technique to, to be more powerful and, and actually probably have a better technique because it's dreadful, um, I'm more willing to, to try. It doesn't, it doesn't matter about your age. I just want to try and get better. And, and I guess lockdown probably helped in that because I just sat on my bike and because um, my dog got fed up of being walked, I just, it was either a dog walk or, or go on my bike. So, um, it did help, I think, fitness. And then it just probably made me more robust to actually um, start running again. So fingers crossed at the moment, um, it's okay and I'm enjoying it. Now, talking of being robust, um, I'm guessing some of your early cricketing experiences would have involved playing in matches against lads or, or fellas. I certainly remember playing in local leagues um, up in the Leeds area where there were uh, one or two of the girls playing, and I can remember some of the comments that were made at the time. Did, did you did that help you become more robust, not only as a, a physical cricketer, if you like, but sort of mentally as well? Oh yeah, massively. I I played men's cricket. Um, not if I, I sort of skipped boys. I just went straight to men's cricket, just filling in with my dad and, and my uncle and my brother, really. But it does make you tougher. You know, you can't you can't bowl it there. You know, you can't. But you just have to hold your own. Once you once you prove you hold your own. That's it. They just they, like I've got some really close friends from from playing, and and still people still see people now who I played with years ago. So um, it it definitely makes you tougher. 
And I think that's probably why I got to the level I got playing um, international cricket from the early experience I, I had with um, the men's cricket. In terms of respect for the women's game, um, I mean, I don't know what your opinion is on the respect of the women's game, but maybe you want to give us that. And I'm just thinking at the same time, uh, that 2005 Ashes win that really sort of started the ball rolling towards all those World Cups and World Championships and all the rest of it. Was that the sort of catalyst for a greater respect for what the girls can achieve on the field and do? Yeah, definitely. 2005 definitely changed things. Um, I think it helped with the men winning as well. So a double Ashes win, obviously anything against Australia is um, is amazing. So yeah, it was a start, but you're always going to have people not liking women's cricket. They think it's slow and all this and people just want to have their opinion, which they're entitled to, but they don't have to watch it if they don't want to. But it makes me laugh when people choose to watch it and then slag you off. It's like, you've just done that gone out your way to do that like but it's it is changing there's there's a lot more um not just girls involved now there's a lot of boys watching watching girls cricket as well so it's just a great family sport and and i think 2005 was good but i think the 2009 probably helped as well winning um the world cups um that really kicked us on to being taken more seriously and probably put us more in a professional era without getting paid but we we really kicked on with our training in, in that era and I think it showed with um, our results going forward. Uh, 2009, obviously, I know you were at the, the crease when Claire Taylor hit the winning runs in the T20. The the 50-over competition, I mean, that must have been a real, real gut-wrencher. In terms of um, things that you, you got to overcome in your career and come back from, um, missing out on a World Cup final on the day so, I mean, it's an amazingly professional decision from you to decide that you don't feel quite right. But how how tough was that? Yeah, it was, yeah, it's like you say, on the day as well, I thought, I woke up in the morning feeling, yeah, no, it's okay. So it, was, it was my calf. Um, and I thought, no, I'll be all right. But then my fitness test in the morning, I just knew I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to get through 10 overs and do all the fielding and batting. I just couldn't let the team down. I just, that'd be the worst thing if I did something and, and couldn't do my job. So, yeah, it was tough, but um, one of my close mates, Nicky Shaw, came in and got a play of a, play of a match, so it wasn't all bad, and it was just nice to, to win, and to win any, like I said before, anything in Australia, um, in their backyard, I think it even made it even more special, and and yeah, come at, at the end of the day, it didn't really matter if I played or not, it was just still nice to be part of that team. And is that feeling the same in, in women's cricket, it is in not just men's cricket, but other sports as well where England play against Australia I mean is, is, is it heightened when you are you know walking across that white line wearing the England kit yeah I think it, I think it is it's just we always have a dislike for each other on the field and um, I mean at one time I was playing state cricket over there and eight of the current Australian Australians were my teammates so it's it's one of those off, off the field you can go and have a drink with them and stuff but on the field you just take no prisoners and they're never shy of a, of a word or two but um, you just know as long as you leave it on the field it doesn't matter. Uh, which leads me to another question really for you um, you know having played there both internationally for England and then domestically within the Australian competition and we know that the Aussies uh, sad to say are probably still arguably the, the forerunners in world women's cricket what what have you seen from what have you gained from those experiences in terms of um, where the English game is at by comparison what does it need to do to become number one across those yeah. three disciplines 
I mean, in terms of its reach, I guess, I'm thinking in the first instance, in this country. Oh, the reach is going to be brilliant because it's going to be on uh, free-to-air TV, which we saw last summer with the BBC. It was good to to get women's cricket, well, just on cricket, on, on normal TV. So it'll be interesting how the 100 runs, because no one knows, really. Uh, we've had a few pilot games, but it'll be interesting going forward. Um, personally, I would have liked to see 2020 on, on TV and, and not really change too much, but it's a new tournament. No one knows how it's going to go, so it's going to be interesting for all. Yeah, and, and hopefully attracting a new audience. I know you're still, I think you're still working at Trent um, College at the moment and developing young players, both male and female. So um, it, what, what else does it need um, in terms of that, that draw, uh, the women's game in particular I'm thinking of? I think it's just, I think on free-to-air TV is going to be massive in the coming years just to get new people to it. Um, because we, I think we have a set of, of supporters and people who watch us, but it's just getting, I think you just see what it did for the, the women football, um, the reach it got out there in, in the Euros and World Cups and stuff and, and their household names now. So I think just allowing more people to, to see cricket and it's, it's not boring. It's a sport for any, anybody can play and, and it is really good for families. So I really do think um, this season coming, hopefully that cricket can be played and more people will hopefully get to, to experience and watch it. Let's just think about your playing career in terms of those, those highlights that we always see whenever you Google the name Jenny Gunn. Um, and we've talked about 2009 already in the 05 Ashes. What would, be, what would be the ultimate for you? It may not be any of those games. It may be another match where you were in dire straits and you managed to get out of, out of a hole. But what, what's, if you were focusing on, on one game in the Jenny Gunn illustrious career, um, where would you take us? I think one of my most fun games when we were really down was um, in the 2017 World Cup against Australia. Um, me and Catherine Brent ended up having to bat quite a long time and um, the Aussies get on top of you, but actually we had a really good partnership that um, ended up being a winning partnership. And I think just knowing that they thought they were into the tail now of us two, but to get a really good partnership and hit a few sixes both of us, I think it just sort of rubbed um, salt into the wounds as well. So again, Australia, but um, that was one of the, the games. And I always remember because my sister who hates cricket came all the way down to Bristol with um, with my nephew, who, who was only young at the time. And it was a sellout crowd, but all I could hear was him shouting N because he couldn't, he couldn't say my name at the time. And over the crowd, I could still hear him and see him from a boundary and, that just sticks in my head and I think probably relaxed me um, in such a big game. Fantastic. And of course, we will never forget the final. I, I remember where I was and people I'm sure will be, you know, be able to go back in a couple of decades and say, I was there when I watched the final. I was in a, in a hotel with my kids on holiday watching the 2017 final at Laws, actually, not, not in a working capacity for that one. Yeah. Um, but I'll never forget those, those closing stages in particular and the way... Obviously, we know um, you know Anya's performance with the ball was fantastic, but it was the way that you you collectively worked on the opposition. Um, it's almost like you you kind of ground them down, put the frighteners on them, made them make mistakes as that game went on. And there was a little bit of a wobble near the end as well, wasn't there, Jenny? Yeah, I shouldn't play in World Cup final, <laughs> should I? Really, it says it all. <laughs> Um, but no, like it's, it's weird because Annie always says like she bowled awful at tournament, and it's just like it doesn't matter how how you bowl if you bowl 
um, how she did at the end. But I remember um, dropping the catch and she just turned straight to me and just said, I've got this. I was like, oh, all right. And, you know, I was like, okay. and then next ball she bowled him out. So um, it just showed like she was just in the zone that day. And, and yeah, I would love to have caught that because I, I felt like I had a really good tournament and, and that would just capped it off and probably would have finished my career just happy um, at that. But again, it's just like, it's weird. I'm probably like now more known for that drop catch because especially in India, like there's like a hundred million people watching. So great time to do that. But again, just happy to, to be on that field and, and win the game. I was speaking to one of your uh, former colleagues, some of you've worked, you've, yeah, you've worked closely with over the years, um, just as a little bit of prep for, for this podcast. And I thought, I wanted to know what makes Jenny Gunn tick without having to ask that question to you, see what other people um, think. So your, um, your teacher's report, shall we call it, says that you are very people orientated, um, a bit like a mother hen in the group with the England women set up. But it could be anybody, yeah. Um, dependable well-mannered, as I'm finding out myself, uh, dependable both on and off the field. Um, you played with great consistency. Not only did you play with great consistency, but apparently just consistency runs right through your, um, your life on and off the field. Um, and in defence of the catching thing as well, a great arm from the boundary edge, uh, quick to the ball, so excellent in the field. Well, obviously, we've seen you play plenty of times with ball in hand. We know all about that. So that's that's, that's not a bad little teacher's report. You've got to be quite pleased we'll with that. that. Um, not not only that, but obviously, all those many many wickets. In terms of what you achieved with the ball and with the bat as an all rounder, do you feel fulfilled in both aspects of the game in that respect? Um, I, I probably wish I had like an actual game when I knew it was going to be my last game. Um, and yeah. that would have been, it would have been nice after 15 years to just sort of like walk off that field and think, yeah, I'm, I'm done. Um, but also I wish I had more confidence in my batting, um, a long time ago rather than the last probably two or three years. Um, because that's probably frustrating knowing I could bat and that probably like, I mean, even though probably some of my stats show it, it's probably in my head. I didn't necessarily always believe it myself. Was that in, um, in what sort of situations would you, would you say then that you may have lacked confidence at times? I think to be fair, all, most of my career, I just didn't probably believe I could hold a bat where, not hold a bat, but um, I always felt like it's hard down the order because you're either like either have to just hold out or go for it. So it is a challenging one, but actually see it as a challenge and actually enjoy that challenge, which towards the end, like I said, with me and Catherine's um, scoring runs um, against Australia, that was really fun because we just both like, well, top order haven't done it. So let's just try and stick around. We did. And then it got easier and actually um, you've got a lot more time than you think. So it's probably just my own head. I think it, you always say it, people say it's your, your biggest enemy, aren't you? And um, I think that's so true with with myself at times. But now I think that's why with Northern Diamonds, I'm just enjoying my cricket and uh, what will be, will be in a way. 
that uh, that's a remarkably frank response and I've got to say that is in keeping with the coach's notes I have in front of me because I will reveal it was Paul Shaw my commentary colleague in the BBC Radio Leeds box who uh, gave me that little bit of background so he said pretty much what you just said that you know you wished you had a bit more confidence in yourself when you went out particularly in pressure situations and that you could definitely do that when you went back to play county and yeah. did that regularly. Um, so I've got to take my hat off to you for, um, for that self-appraisal, which ties in with what your coach says. Uh, he also suggested that I ask you about the 2013 party bus, dot, dot, <laughs> dot. Apparently after you'd finished, after you'd won the ashes, the, yeah. the coach took a little while, didn't it, to get to the airport or something? Oh, it took. It went the longest way ever because I think we were playing in Durham. Bit, like we went from Southampton to Durham, as you do. Um, but we were all in kit on this party. But well, it was the team bus, and we stopped off at a, a petrol station, got some beers, um, as you do. I can't believe we didn't have any, or we might have run out. To be fair, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was one of those you didn't mind um, the detours really too much, but. I do remember Paul Shaw's dancing to Elvis Presley uh, quite regularly, so I think he was in a good mood. Um, Barney Rubble, I call him. Um, <laughs> well, he's, he's that height, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, blonde hair, that height, yeah, and the, the little um, the little bum chin thing going on. <laughs> um, okay, well, there we go. That's uh, the party bus of 2013. I also said to him, so where would you rank? Um, where would you rank Jenny? She might think this is unfair, I'm not sure actually, but I'm going to go through with it anyway and you can press the um, the, the stop button if you want. <laughs> where, where would you rank Jenny? And he said, I don't want to rank anybody in terms of numbers, but he said, I'll tell you what, in the history of uh, English women's cricket, um, you have the Greenways, the Blunts, the Edwardses, the Knights and the Taylors and um, Gunn would be in that half dozen every time one of the first names on the team sheet which I think your record would um, would underline and you mentioned the Ray Rachel Hayhoe Flint trophy a few minutes ago um, as probably the the ultimate inspiration for the English women's game I'd guess Rachel uh, great that she was honoured in that way and, and sort of also very sad that she she just missed out on seeing you lift that 2017 World yeah. Cup yeah, it's like, I think we all said it. We felt she was there with us. Um, and it was really good her son rang the bell on that day and and the family to be part of it. But I still remember, so um, myself and George Elvis went to her funeral and God, you could tell she wrote she wrote her funeral. There was laughs. Like, I've never laughed so much at a funeral. And it was just, it was like she was there speaking and, and she's just such a, a truly amazing lady. And one I was just so great to actually meet and, and get advice on and and yeah it would have been so nice for her to to have seen us lift it but we were there because of her and all the people who went before us so it was so nice just to lift it uh, cricket and hockey uh, legend of course <laughs> yeah. um, Rachel um, and I remember you know when I was this was a long time ago when I was at primary school um, seeing her on on books about women's cricket probably the book about women's cricket at the time yeah. um, because there weren't that many um, girls playing um, playing the game it, if you could go back uh, uh, you know through your career if you like and and change anything um, what would what would that be um, it's probably a weird one I might probably try and play football 
grab the cricket altogether. Yeah, it's so weird. Um, I can't play. I always wanted to play football for England, and it never. I never got the chance to go to um, England trials because I had cricket, and that's one regret I've always lived with. To not know if I would ever make it, and some of my my friends who I played football with went on uh, to play for England. So, just my one regret is not going to them trials. But I can't complain because I've had a good career. Yeah, I wouldn't complain too much. But you clearly had that sort of in the genes as well, and and, and your own talent. I'm sure that you brought to it. And probably a good time to touch back on on your on your dad for a moment. I remember that that Notts Forest side very well as a young lad growing up. I was Leeds United fan, of course, been a Leeds lad myself, but some great battles with Forest in those late seventies, early eighties. Uh, and Bryn, um, I don't think he played in seventy nine, did he? When Trevor Francis Gobis certainly played against yeah. Hamburg in nineteen eighty. I remember that well. Um, did you did you get to go watch? much of that when you were growing up meet Cluffy and all those sort of things no I've seen videos and they're all close they're really close team now so they're all they all still speak and things and um they all used to play cricket so they're they were all keen in the summer playing so um it's it's quite surreal at times speaking to these people who like Viv Anderson and, and people who like played for England and and it's just like I can't. I, I still get starstruck. In they're just so down to earth. It's it, and they're just like they just want to talk about my cricket and how well I do. I was like, well, yeah, but you did this and and stuff. And but I've just been on a dog walk with mum and dad. It was quite funny because um, I walked past my old primary school and we had um, we did a um, it was dads versus well sons, but it was daughters as well at cricket. And we had uh, mums versus daughters at football. And mum says, oh yeah, I remember when I ran in from the halfway line and struck it and um, broke the crossbar? And I was like, yeah, mum. She's like, yeah, that's where you get your football skills from, not your dad. I was like, yeah, so all right, mum. <laughs> so um, there's a fighting all the time about where the skills came from. But um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely from my dad, not from my mum. But um, it, there's just so many stories about like Brian Clough and, and what we hear and um, it doesn't seem to me never a, a dull moment and a bit different to football nowadays because I think back then if a if a manager said do this literally you would do it straight away and you wouldn't argue whereas mm. now I think the, the players run it a bit more um, a lot more money involved um, I might be I might be driving around in Lamborghini if dad was playing nowadays but um, yeah. no I, I don't he wouldn't change anything and I, and I think that sums up how I played my cricket as well how my dad played football and and we wouldn't change it um, because we both had good careers in, in our time time frame. Yeah. And you wouldn't, I'm, I'm asking you if you if you saw much of that, but of course, thinking about when you were born, you was he still playing by the time you were old enough to remember or had he retired by then? Yeah, so he played for Forest for 10 years, which I, I, I couldn't believe he played for 10 years. So he was sort of, I mean, I was just born. Um, I still remember there's a picture um, with mum and dad in front of a Christmas tree with my sister in a forest programme, which is quite funny. Um, we're taking the mickey out of her, but it was more the, the lower league. So he went on to play like Shrewsbury, Peterborough um, and Chesterfield. He played with Sean Dyche, the current Burnley manager, and he, he just still rings every now and then and, and talks. I was like, as if you know a premiership like manager and things, but they're just so down to earth, old school era. Um, just like one of the lads and things so it is quite interesting seeing some of the videos with all the uh, challenges tackles flying in where you don't get booked or anything and like there's there's like bones hanging on from everywhere but it was just it's quite good to watch I think people of my generation go up proper football yeah, um, no grass on the pitch yeah yeah oh, yeah they're terrible back in those days you see anything <laughs> anything from sort of uh, old Trafford particularly that was just like a 
a strip of mud with a little couple of blades of grass down the wings. Um, you mentioned Lamborghinis and, and the rest of it, and that sort of leads me to, to think, well, I'm asking you about to look back on your career. If you could reset it, if you like, to start a couple of years ago, so you were just breaking through again now, uh, the financial rewards, who knows, may become greater with yeah, television rights and sponsorship in the next 10, 15 years. Would you, would you rather reset in that respect? Well, I mean, I've, I've liked my era. I've, I've, I love that I've played over pretty different areas, like when we didn't get paid, um, just getting paid, and now it's like probably really professional. So I've probably gone through different three different phases, which I've really enjoyed. And the friends I've made, I think I wouldn't take anything anything back really and yeah money money is great but I'd rather like have the, the three world cups we've won and and probably don't really want to be a bowler going into how batters are nowadays so I think I'll, I'll just park that there and and leave that <laughs> I'll be happy okay you're picking a women's team to, that needs to win to save your life mm. I'm not going to ask you to go through the full 11 because I'm, I'm yeah. dropping you on the spot there but who would be the the one pick, the first pick, and why? In what what format is it, please? Oh well, I suppose given that you played um, more ODIs than anything, we'll go with that. But you can give us a, an ODI and a, a T Twenty. I think. Well, I think if I was going to say Heather Knight would be definitely up there. Um, and why? Just a great leader. Um, just how she bats as well. She just knows her game inside out and. She's known that from a, a very early age, um, but she's she's developed from a, a little moon phase ball when she turned up in Mumbai to her first um, ODI from Freshers' Week to um, to a true leader and, and one that will I think lead any team anywhere. So that's ODIs. T twenties different. Um, I'd probably have her in both. I'd probably pick her in every single format. To say she had a hamstring hanging off a bone um, was struggling to do like running and things to how hard she works, I think you just, I don't think anybody would, would not pick her in, in a team. The, the, the hopping around the various teams as well over the years, you know, bit of Yorkshire, Notts obviously, Home County, Warwickshire, the, the trips abroad, is that just in the moment that it's the best thing for you at any given time or are you a bit restless in that respect? No, so uh, Notts got relegated um, and I just thought if I want to, keep in the England side and should be I need to be playing the best cricket so um, left to go to Yorkshire for one season really um, and I actually enjoyed it but it was just a bit too far um, to travel really on a, on a Sunday morning even on up early it was just a bit too far um, and then went to Warwickshire and really enjoyed Warwickshire because it's actually um, it worked out nearer um, than my home ground in Knotts at one point because we were playing out in Newark and it was miles away so mm-hmm. Um, but really enjoyed Warwickshire and, and I was a bit gutted that um, they chose not to, to sign me um, literally two weeks before the season because I think I really felt that we were getting somewhere um, and so yeah really gutted to, to miss out on some of their, the girls development because they've got a really exciting squad and, and coming probably next few years I think they'll start pushing. And, and talk, talking of young players I mean you know who would you and now that you've um, put the international game into into the past, if you like, um, who have you seen in the last two, three years? And maybe people might not yet have fully um, heard of through watching the television broadcast and all the rest of it. 
that we might be seeing as, as sort of England superstars coming up in the next uh, generation. Yeah, I think as well, though, people with Rachel Hay and Flint Trophy, I don't think they should write off some of the older ones either. I think this gives uh, people another chance. And I think, yeah, it's good for the youngsters to um, like experience this level. But actually, hopefully it will give the people who are 27, 28, maybe slightly older, the chance to really call for another England go. Because Blangston, who we have um, for Northern Diamonds, bowled quick and accurately and she's probably quicker than some of the, most of the England girls. So why not give her a go if she's in form? And I think that's where this tournament is going to be really good for anybody. I think that's what Australia do really well. They pick the informed player. So they had Erin Burns, who was in form at 31. They picked her to make a debut. So I think it doesn't matter how old you are now that you can, it's your, it's your chance. If you're, if you do everything right, give it a go. It's an interesting point, and when you ask that question, it's probably one I've not even considered, but there are still players out there then, clearly, who've not had the opportunity or made the most of it yet, but may still prove good enough. Georgia Adams scored the most runs, um, and she's in her mid-20s, like, but scored runs for fun. So I think, like I say, there are a lot of good youngsters out there, but I think people shouldn't be wrote, wrote off just because of her age. And I think that's why Northern Diamonds really helped last year that we've got such a good balance of youngsters, middle age, and a few grandmas. Um, but it, it, I, think that's, I think that's other teams have realised that, that they need to have some experience in there. Otherwise, when times get tough, it's, it, you're going to lose out, I think. So um, it'll be interesting the teams coming forward this year. So, okay, just a couple more questions to finish with then, Jenny, because I'm conscious we've um, taken up quite a lot of your time, which I'm very grateful for for you uh, for giving us that. If we revisited this podcast in, say, a decade, what further changes um, would you like to have seen implemented in the, the women's game in this country in particular, but could be worldwide? Uh, I'd like to say more test cricket um, and hopefully if there's more... Um, full contracted people then you could probably play more two or three day cricket which then allows people to get used to that was one thing that was really hard that all England girls wanted to play tests but we never got any practice so you've gone from bowling 10 overs a day to might be bowling 25 overs back to back and your bodies aren't used to it so um, I would love to say or see more test cricket but actually being played that in the right way as well Is is that down to um, what the different nations and their enthusiasm for playing it or, or otherwise? A little bit and I think funding so if you put a test match on to the end of a tour it, it adds another seven to ten days and some some countries just don't have that um, the money really whereas you know Australia will um, and I think New Zealand a lot of the girls want to play but again they didn't have the funding so. And you mentioned pitches earlier on as well would that would that come into it because if you're going to play you know, whatever it might be, three-day test, five-day test, a four-day test, I don't know. You're going to need um, something that's going to wear. Yeah, and I guess it's it's frustrating probably watching the last Ashes test match when we played on a bit of a used track. It's like, come on, like we're not going to get a result on that. Like, I don't think, I mean, the spinners, we don't, we don't rag it, return it, but it's not going to change a game too much. I think you either need a green seaman, hope you win the toss, Um but you need a bit of a fresh wicket and just trust that the two teams are good enough to, to get a, a result, really. Um, 
you come to the end of nearly uh, the first podcast that's never asked you about the uh, the bowling action thing. Uh, but I think it? I think everybody's um, done that already in the past, so I'm not going to bother. Um, I think we know all about that. Um, well, I have actually, I've been trying to change a few things. Um, I bowled the other day with Beth Langston. I've bowled previously through, through Christmas and she hasn't bowled since September and she rocked up and the first bowl it came out was 62 miles an hour and I was like okay right I'm nowhere near that but it's only a little speed like speed gun I ran in and I felt really good and it came up as 12 <laughs> I was like please tell me that's broken I was like what is going on and the coach says no no I'll make you quicker I was like yeah I hope I'm quicker than 12 miles an hour come the season but yeah. Yeah, you're gonna have to go from seven degrees to about nine to achieve yeah. that then maybe. Oh, um, the I'm not even close. It's just it makes me laugh nowadays, so I'm just like whatever. Well, yeah, I'm sure. Um I'm sure you've got sick of all that and just got used to getting your head around it over the years. But um finally, you know, let's let's think about the future. Um we know what you're doing in the immediate future, twenty twenty one, Northern Diamonds. Um You've got a former England coach who'd be quite happy to um, to take you to the Northwest Thunder and play there and mentor his um, younger players and uh, coach them eventually. So he was telling me on the phone this morning. So there's an offer for you live on the podcast right now. I'm only I turned it down if you already. Don't worry. I turned it down for Northern Diamonds, right. Yorkshire. I can't uh, go to. The- Border, can I? No, well, I would. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't be an advocate of that, but he's already, you know, jumped ship, hasn't he, as a Yorkshireman and gone over and, and coached them. Um, and I know that, um, you know, you've obviously enjoyed your time down under before. Is that really where you're hankering to go once maybe this coming season's out of the way and you can finally say, I have finished? Well, to be fair, I was, so I was over there work, doing a work experience with Cricket New South Wales last winter, um, which was really interesting because they had quite a few Australian players and things and we just finished the Ashes. So then I'm like gone from there as an England player to sort of coaching and things. And it was really interesting out there. And I really only came back because of COVID. Um, and I'm glad I did because you want to be around your family. But my long-term goal, which has been like since I was probably like probably six years old is to live in Australia. Um, so yeah, that's still in the plans, but hopefully I can get through this season and then just, like you say, hang up. But I don't think my team out there will let me retire either. So, um, yeah. And you'll have to say yes, won't you? Because you being you. Yeah, but I can play as a batter over there. They don't mind. and They don't make me bowl, whereas Danny Hazel makes me bowl here. <laughs> we'll have to have words with him. Um, Jenny, look, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure to um, go back to your career and get your opinions on so much... Uh, involvement in the the women's game uh, i can honestly say that you've won the sporting lives podcast award for the best um, backdrop that we've ever had so far with that wonderful picture behind um yeah, sorry. so <laughs> thank you thank you so much for your time hopefully um, i'll catch up with you uh, at some point in person around the scene during this coming season and um, we wish you all the best for the future once again thanks very much no thank you and and they weren't lying that i can talk were they <laughs> uh, well I, I think I can do that with the best of them so um, no, I think um, I think you've been absolutely spot on so once again thanks no thank you so there we have it fab to hear from uh, England women's cricketing legend Jenny Gunn loads more to come on Sporting Lives you can have your say by sending me an email jonathandoidge at hotmail.com is that email address with suggestions perhaps of who you'd like to see up here on the pod in the future we've got uh, plenty of cricket on there from the past as well 
current ECB cricket liaison officer and former rugby league referee Stuart Cummins, Anthony McGrath, of course, Yorkshire and England of the past and very successful head coach with Essex at the moment. He is up there as well as the first black cricketer to play for England back at the turn of the 80s. Of course, uh, former Middlesex legend Roland Butcher. Loads of other sports too, rugby league, horse racing, football uh, and many more. So please do subscribe both on YouTube and on Podbean. Thanks once again for your support and we'll see you next time on Sporting Lives.